Macri, and I'm a member of the PJSM editorial team. My pleasure today to introduce Liam McLaughlin and Professor Bill Vicenzino. Liam is a physiotherapist and a PhD student at the University of Queensland, Australia, and his research interests are the pain mechanisms and non-physical features of patellofemoral pain. And Bill is the chair in sports physiotherapy at the University of Queensland School of Health and Rehab Sciences, where he is the director of the Master of Physiotherapy programs in sports and musculoskeletal physiotherapy and of the Sports Injury Rehabilitation and Prevention for Health Research Unit. Thanks both of you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. So Liam, maybe I'll start with you. With the uh, systematic review that you recently published looking at non-physical or psychological factors in patellofemoral pain, what really inspired you to get to focus on that area? Well, hi, Erin and, and listeners. Uh, firstly, thanks for the opportunity to discuss our research. Um, it's great to be able to talk uh, a bit more about our findings. Um, I, I guess I was driven by a combination of both clinical experience and uh, a gigantic chasm in the PFP literature. As a physiotherapist, I worked in a combination of, of public and private settings, and I've seen a range of people with patellofemoral pain, from sedentary cases through to athletes. And across this range, I often noticed a disconnect between physical findings and the severity of symptoms. And I guess over time, the one thing I did come to recognise uh, was the common presenting feature of all the people, and that being that their beliefs and cognitions drove behaviour related to the condition. And I guess from a research perspective, after starting my PhD and getting to know the PFP literature, it was quite easy to spot the mechanical dominance and, and, and the dearth in research relating to other factors that define the human condition. Great. And Bill, do you have anything to add to that? You've been studying biomechanics and patellofemoral pain for years. What what brought you to this area? Yeah, good day, Erin and listeners. Thanks thanks again for your interest in in the area. Yeah, most of my research in patellofemoral pain has been in in treatments and in in and they've been basically mechanically orientated. If if I'm stepping back a bit over the last couple of years and having a, a look at the problem of patellofemoral pain, a few a few features stand out which I think's probably a good basis from which to work on answering the question. First and foremost, patellofemoral pain tends to start off in adolescence uh, and is not self-limiting. There's a lot of evidence that shows that it persists through life and and um, the sobering, there's a sobering bit of information that when you look at all our evidence, level one evidence treatments, a substantial proportion of patients that go through the treatment still have problems, so almost 50%. And I'm talking about treatments that you know, uh, exercise-related, um, motor control-related, the McConnell-type program, plus or minus some foot orthoses. So it's a bit like low back pain. The mechanical interventions approach manages some of them, but not all of them. And so if I then think about reflecting back to a patellofemoral pain retreat we had at Manchester a couple of years ago, and I, I was talking about a pain study we did, and uh, surprisingly, only 6% of the abstracts there at that conference were in pain. All the rest were mechanically related. So the field tends to have aggregated around that. And I think given that the treatments we use are biased that way, we really do need to start looking at some other avenues for managing these conditions. And I was glad when Liam popped up and decided to do a PhD with a keen interest in this area. So just to make sure we're all on the same page, maybe Liam, you could describe a little bit more what you mean when we say psychological features. Yeah, sure. I mean, firstly, I suppose it's quite important to highlight the difference 
that we see between psychopathology and, and psychological features. Um, psychopathologies such as depression and post-traumatic stress disorders are serious mental health conditions that really should only be managed by clinicians with professional training to do so, so psychologists and psych psychiatrists, etc. But in the context of the work we're doing, we tend to think of psychological features as being either individual traits or characteristics that influence cognitions and behaviours. So features such as anxiety or catastrophizing or fear of pain and fear of movement or self-efficacy, they can be assessed and managed by a range of health professionals who have a, a basic understanding in the area. So if I'm a clinician of, of that latter type, maybe a physiotherapist or something, could you maybe distill down the findings from your systematic review in a way that feels relevant to me as a physiotherapist? I think the fact that a number of these psychological features that we were looking at, such as depressive symptoms and catastrophizing, were found to be significantly higher in those with PFP. It's definitely important and something that clinicians need to be realising, um, especially as these psychological factors have been found to play an important role in persistent musculoskeletal pain conditions. So if we look at the start-back tool for an example, most clinicians will be familiar with the start-back but for those who aren't, the tool was developed by Jonathan Hill and his group at Keele University in the UK to screen for back pain prognostic indicators and to help clinicians classify people as being either low, medium or high risk of poor outcomes. So the start back contains nine items, two of which relate to pain, two of which relate to disability and then five that are considered psychological factors. And these factors are bothersomeness, catastrophizing, fear, anxiety and depressive symptoms. And together they make up the psychosocial subscale. Now it's the score from the psychosocial subscale that is used to determine the high risk people. So in other words, the psychosocial factors stand as the tool's most important prognostic indicators in identifying those most likely to have poor treatment outcomes. So with PFP being very similar to low back pain, as in they often arise from insidious onset, and both often are given non-specific diagnoses, both can exhibit symptoms that are long-standing or not self-limiting, and both are often unresponsive, as Bill was mentioning to evidence-based treatments. I think it's really important that the clinicians that treat PFP are interested in the fact that these important prognostic indicators may be present, and ultimately they should be ready to adaptive management strategies in their presence and once identified. One of the things that I noticed in your paper was in the longitudinal papers, I guess, they found that the severity of um, psychological features changed as the severity of pain and function changed over time. So the psychological features would actually improve as pain improved. What can you tell me as that means as far as causation? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> Well, I really think that these findings need to be interpreted with care. Um, they're essentially based on the results of two studies, and there wasn't enough information from these studies to determine causal relationships. As in, we can't tell if reducing pain and or disability reduces psychological impairment or vice versa. Essentially, what we have is scores that change together over time. Um, what is encouraging, though, 
is that with treatment, certain psychological factors seem to be modifiable. And I suppose this makes sense. Uh, for instance, if someone catastrophizes that irreparable damage has occurred at their knee, but they then receive a reassuring treatment that takes the focus away from physical damage, then we're likely to see levels of catastrophizing reduce. And similarly, if someone who avoids an activity due to a fear of pain, but then has that fear allayed, then logic would follow that the person is less likely to be avoidant in the future. So yeah, it's too early to say much about causation. But at the end of the day, being able to recognise important clinical features and act accordingly may arguably be more important than understanding the causation. So as a clinician, how do the findings of this study impact how I would actually go about evaluating or treating my patients? Well, hopefully this, the study makes clinicians think differently about how they assess patellofemoral pain. I suppose as a basic tenant, all clinicians will be determining severity of pain and disability from the onset. But when pain and disability are found to be high, then before delving into pathomechanical assessment and, and looking at potential physical features of the condition, it'd be good to have clinicians assessing for the psychological factors. And the reason being that regardless of physical presentation, it seems that psychological factors are likely to influence treatment outcomes. And there's a growing body of evidence suggesting this. For instance, Sophia Bergbaum and her team from Orebro University in Sweden ran a study exploring the processes of change in people with musculoskeletal pain during a period of treatment. And they wanted to investigate if changes to psychological variables at different time points were related to changes in pain. And they found that people who decreased in catastrophizing early in the treatment process had better outcomes in terms of pain over a seven-week treatment period Another example would be from Tim Weidman and Michael Sullivan at the McGill University in Canada. And they ran a study looking at whether poor recovery following a work-related injury was associated with elevated psychosocial factors. And they tested over 200 people uh, before a seven-week physiotherapy intervention. And then they followed them up one year later to see how they were doing in terms of pain severity and return to work. So at their follow-up, they found that those with higher levels of baseline psychological impairment also had increased likelihood of problematic outcomes, as in higher levels of pain and not returning to work. So these are just two examples from a battery of evidence suggesting that psychological impairment either moderates or mediates treatment outcomes. So in other words, when psycho psychological factors are present, they will alter the outcomes of the interventions that we're delivering. And for some with PFP, psychological factors seem to be an issue. Events through this review, through qualitative work done by Claire Robertson, and also by some interesting findings that we're going to be publishing soon, looking at different PFP subgroups. So for these people, it's imperative that any form of psychological impairment is identified first and either addressed independently or as part of an intervention that tackles and addresses any physical impairments. Bill, is there anything you'd like to add as far as your clinical impressions on how I might treat somebody differently if they present with psychosocial features or not? Just a brief word. I think um, 
physiotherapist are well placed to to look at that nexus between the psychology and the physical and uh, meter out physical intervention based on the, you know, coaxing patients to do a little bit more to build some resilience. Um, education's a big part of that. So as clinicians, I think maybe, I don't want to overuse this term, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's uh, consider these uh, new and exciting findings in patellofemoral pain alongside what we've done. And, and um, often a physical approach to a person is deemed uh, more comfortable for the patient than you know, telling them that it's all in the head, so to speak, not that we're saying that. So I just urge that as clinicians, we, it's a challenge and that we respond to it in a positive way. Great. Thank you. Liam, anything, any last words? Thanks very much again for the opportunity to, to discuss the research. It's, it's really nice to be able to tell listeners more about what we're doing and hopefully be able to elaborate on our findings. So thanks very much. Yeah, thanks so much for your time, both of you. It's really exciting to think that there might be some more tools in our toolbox down the road as we, as we learn more. Thanks. Cheers.